This is Chris. Welcome to episode 354 of X-Lapsed, where I cannot tell you what it means to me to be behind the microphone again right now. Um, it's been it's been a pretty bad week. Uh, it's been a rough week. Um, you know, I was a. Uh, it's weird when I started this show. I had these uh, delusions that uh, X-Lapsed was not going to be you know a personal show. You know, it was just a, you know, just the facts, ma'am, sort of a show where I would talk about the comics, I'd do some feedback, and I'd get out of there, and I wouldn't waste anybody's time with any of my nonsense, <laughs> and uh, I'd save that for other things or the poor folks who, uh, you know, have the misfortune of um, knowing me personally or uh, who chat with me, uh, you know, casually <laughs> in a day-to-day basis, but uh, I'm not a terribly creative guy, and... Uh, I think I've uh, proven over the course of my you know podcasting career that uh, yeah I could be an emotional guy and um, yeah sometimes these shows veer into the uh, to the personal and uh, well this <laughs> I guess will, will be a no exception to that um, I think the last time we visited I was still in quarantine um, the wife and I caught COVID took us a few weeks to get over it. Then, like, the first time I went out, I had a dentist appointment and then got a call later on that day saying my hygienist tested positive. So I was right back in quarantine, which really, really sucked. I was in quarantine for about four days uh, from Monday to Thursday of uh, last week. And during that time, I really didn't get to see the family all that much, uh, just you know, passing in the hallway while I had uh, a mask on and uh, they held their breath as they walked past me. But I also didn't get to hang out much with uh, my dogs. And uh, I'm not sure, I, you know, I don't know anything about anything. I'm no scientist, but I, I think my wife read somewhere that uh, dogs could catch COVID. I don't know if that's true. I don't know if it's not true. So um, you figure it's best to err on the side of caution, even if it might sound silly. So I didn't really hang out with the dogs. And by the time I was able to get in for a test, like past the, I guess, incubation period of um, of the virus, I, I got tested. It came back negative. So, you know, hip, hip, hooray, everything was good. And I was back, you know, among the living and uh, part of the normal population of my home. And, uh, the first evening that um, you know, I was back out in the living room with the wife and the dogs, uh, our smaller dog, a little chihuahua, she threw up very violently. Not something that is totally outside the realm of possibilities. Anybody who knows, or anybody who has a dog, a little dog, big dog, any dog really, 
eh, sometimes they eat too much. You know, they don't really have the best uh, impulse control. And so they, they throw up sometimes. It's uh, not the end of the world. It's unpleasant, you know, and if you're someone like me, you worry. But uh, it's not something that is totally alien to, uh, to dog owners. So she threw up, and uh, she was throwing up, um, like, very, very violently. Mostly dry heaves uh, to start. And, uh, you know, she wanted to go outside. She ran outside. She ate some grass, came back in. You know, that's something that dogs do, right? So she comes back inside, and she finally is able to throw something up, and it was like this big mass of um, fuzz. Again, not something unusual for dog owners, especially if your dogs like to play with you know stuffed animals or toys. They are, you know, they can be pretty violent with their toys, especially uh, you know the needle nose that I live with um, gets in there and just defuzzes every toy, and sometimes some of the fuzz winds up, you know, she eats it. And, you know, we never really thought it was that big a deal, which is silly. We probably should have always been very, very vigilant about this. But uh, anyway, she threw up, and it was this this fuzz. And we're like, oh, okay. She had that, you know, it was like a hairball, like a cat. You know, it's like, okay, so she, that's out. She'll be okay now. No big deal. And that night, she basically was okay. She refused to eat, which, you know, stands to reason. Sometimes uh, when your stomach's upset, you know, the last thing you want to do is, you know, put food down there. So she didn't eat. We went to bed the next morning. Uh, usually, she is my alarm clock, and at about 4.30 every morning, I can count on her to like bounce up and down on my chest until I get up and feed her. And she didn't wake me up. She didn't wake me up uh, the second day. And, um, you know, I'm thinking, okay, maybe she's still a little bit woozy. She's still a little bit uh, out of it. So, you know, I got up a little bit late and just went about my day and uh, put out food for her and... Uh, Again, she, she wouldn't eat. I kept a watch on her all day, and um, yeah, she was acting bizarre. Pretty bizarre, not not her normal self. But um, again, you know, uh, <laughs> with, with someone like me, if a dog sneezes, if anybody sneezes, coughs, whatever, my mind immediately, like, splits in two. Like, one side of me is in full justification and comforting mode it's like oh well this is normal okay this is oh this is because of that oh they're only doing this because of that and it'll be good soon then the other half of me is completely the opposite and totally fatalistic it's like okay uh, she sneezed she's going to die and uh, that's just you know the way my mind works unfortunately so here i'm seeing our little uh, our little chihuahua here acting very very strange and you know my mind Goes in those two directions Like, oh, well, she threw up yesterday Maybe this is, you know, a little bit more of that Maybe she didn't get all the fuzz out, you know And then the other half of me is like Oh, she's probably going to die Now, if you've been listening to my nonsense For the past little while here You'll know that uh, I, I did recently lose a dog I lost uh, the pug we had for 14 years uh, Right after Christmas this year And it's still something I deal with um, It's almost embarrassing to admit But I, I still... I still break down every once in a while. I, I and, and I say once in a while. It's ugh, there are stretches where it's every day, and um, I just I guess I just wasn't born with proper coping uh, mechanisms or strategies, and so um, the thought the, of going through that uh, again was just I, I couldn't wrap my head around it. I, I kind of shut down. Um, when she didn't improve the next day, uh, I, we took her into the vet. I, I called, and it was one of those good news, bad news things. 
where I called and was told the next appointment would be like three or four days later. But when I went on to describe her uh, symptoms and, you know, what she was doing, uh, they changed that to come in right now, which is a scary thing to hear, especially if you're someone like me who goes to extremes. It was, um, you know, it's like one of those things where it's like you're happy to get in there, but you, part of you is worried that, you know, there's there's an urgency there that uh, we, uh, that might lead to a bridge we don't want to cross, you know? We bring her in, and uh, we are, well, we're crazy, me and the wife. So uh, he, the, the doctor feels, you know, feels the belly, feels the guts here. You know, they take the vitals. Everything looks good, you know. Um, uh, no fever. Uh, everything looks clear. Everything looks clean. And he kind of, like, jokingly said, like, well, we can give her an x-ray if you want to see if there's anything blocking. And I don't think he was expecting us both to be like, yes, do that. <laughs> and he's like... Well, it costs this amount of money, and we're like, do it. <laughs> we don't care. Do it. So he kind of like, I think he was a bit shocked that we were this insane. But they, they gave her the x-ray. They brought us back to look at them, and the x-ray looked fine. You know, nothing was blocking her. Everything was exactly where it was supposed to be, doing what it was supposed to do. We were given this, like, slurry of um, some anti-nausea medication that um, we had to... Give her via injection, not injection, but a, a little uh, syringe, like one of those little medicine dropper syringes like babies use, you know, uh, just to make sure it gets into her system. You, you get it, you know, in the back of the throat and do the thing, right? So we did that. And um, the next day, uh, no improvement, no improvement at all. And in fact, uh, she had added limping to um, her repertoire uh, on this day. And unfortunately, it was the weekend. So we were kind of screwed as far as uh, getting her back into to the vet. And, you know, I'm, I'm like a lunatic. We, you know, we got to get her into the emergency vet right away. We got to do this. We got to do that. And the wife, thankfully, God bless her, she's, she's so much cooler in, in so many different ways than I am. She is so much cooler. And uh, she, she was like, okay, calm down, calm down, you know, it's... We don't know anything yet. She, you know, she still looked healthy. She was acting weird, but she looked healthy. Everything looked okay. We'll, we'll give it a, you know, we'll give it a day. We'll give it a day and then see where it goes from there. And um, so anytime we left the house, she was with us. We were sneaking her into stores left and right. Um, we just didn't want to, or I didn't want to leave her home alone. So uh, anytime we had to go out, she was right there under my arm. But, um... During the car rides, uh, uh, you know, a spark of life came back to her. You know, she didn't seem as... Yeah, she seemed a little dopey, uh, you know, at, at when she was at home, but very, very sharp outside, you know, like, um, it caught, like, everything in her peripheral vision. She was, like, up, looking out the window, barking at uh, cars and dogs and, and people. It, it seemed like things were going back to normal. And so, you know, the worry, the worry never goes away, but it subsided a little bit. Uh, the next day, more of the same. The limping had gone away, um, but if you would, if you would touch her leg, she would go to bite you. You know, so I knew there was something, or I assumed there was something going on. And her lower abdomen—if you touched her there, she'd go to bite you. So it's like, okay, well, there's still something going on, and she still wasn't eating. You know, it had been probably three or four days. Since she had eaten and and kept anything down, uh, the the vet told us not to try 
you know, to try feeding in little bits. And we did, and occasionally she would take a bite or two, and uh, it was like a crapshoot as to whether or not it would stay down. So she was getting some nutrients, but definitely not not enough. So um, Monday morning comes, and right at, right at 8 a.m., I called the vet. They answered on the first ring, and I said, hey, this is what's going on. She's not improving. She's still not eating. And it was another one of those situations where I assumed I'd call and they'd be like, yeah, come in at like 2 or 3 or 4 or something like that. But instead, they asked me if I could get her in right away, like right now, right this minute. And uh, it was all I needed to hear. I, I'm like, okay, yeah. I'm getting, you know, I'm throwing clothes on as I'm running to the car with a dog under my arm, you know. So we went in, and uh, the vet was, uh, well, he was kind of like uh, bamboozled. He didn't know what to tell us. He didn't have anything he could give us. He didn't have anything outside of, you know, the 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 good and bad advice of, you know, well, we just have to wait. You know, um, waiting is such a horrible prospect, but it's also sometimes the only little bit of hope you have, right? Um, it wasn't a case of, you know, it's probably not going to get any better, so we should make some final arrangements or some final decisions. As is, it's so weird. Uh, we've taken we've taken the dogs to um, the emergent like the actual emergency room for dogs the uh, overnight 24 hour 7 day a week deal and i feel like we well, we are alarmists or i am a major league alarmist so strange things happens in the night uh, you know i want to get them into the emergency place uh, you know just as quick as we can and we've probably had uh, over the past 15 years, probably eight, maybe ten visits to the emergency room. And like 80% of the time, they tell us, yeah, this is the end, we should just put the dog down. And every time, uh, they've they've recovered and, and have like thrived afterwards. Like uh, one time we were told with our pug that you know he'll never walk again, and he's probably not going to move much. You're going to have to flip him over every couple of hours so he doesn't develop sores on his body. And so we might want to consider his quality of life and yada, yada, yada. Not five minutes later, he chased a rabbit in their front yard, in the, the, in the front area, the parking lot of this emergency vet. It's like, I'm uh, not sure how much I uh, stock, how much stock I put into, <laughs> into their uh, opinion anymore. But uh, our vet was... Um, he never lost the optimism. Of course, he couldn't tell us that. You know, he couldn't say everything's going to be okay because that's just, that's irresponsible, right? And that's also, you know, kind of toying with the emotions of uh, some very crazy people who are a little bit fanatical about their animals. But um, they drew blood, which they probably should have done the first time, but he really didn't think it was going to be, he thought it was just going to be, you know, the next day everything would be cool, so... Didn't want to waste our money. Didn't even offer it as a, as a suggestion that first visit. But um, they did draw the blood this time. They gave her a long or yeah long acting uh, antibiotic shot, which I guess stays in the body for like two weeks, fighting off any infection. Just you know, just in case. And you know, before we got the the results of the blood test back, just just in case, right? Anyway, we get her home. We try to get her comfortable and. Um, she starts letting out, like, the most pitiful squeaks and shrieks, and 
She looked like she was in just absolute dismay and such discomfort and pain. It was like I picked her up, and usually she, you know, it's a little chihuahua. She usually like, curls up in your arm, you know. This time, though, she looked like like an army tent. You know, her arms were straight out, like at an angle. Her legs were straight out at an angle here. Like, she looked like, you know, if I tapped her on the head, she would shatter. Very, very frail, very, very fragile looking, and in so much pain. Um, so I called the vet again. I'm like, hey, she's in a lot of pain. Uh, what What do we do? Because... I mean, I know it's like the emergency room is right down the road. Our vet is about a half hour away. If I have to make the decision, because I'm an idiot, it's emergency room. Right away, you know, boom, right there. I don't care if it's going to be three grand. We're going in there. And uh, then the vet was like, hey, you know, okay, no worries, no worries. Let's uh, let's get her some ibuprofen. We'll get her a way that, you know, it's it'll be easy to give it to her. You know, basically telling me to, you know, calm down, stop being a lunatic. <laughs> and... Uh, it, you know, we our vet is is wonderful, fantastic, fantastic man. Uh, he doesn't really he he doesn't really soften the blow when things happen. When he told us that our pug had cancer, it was basically he has cancer and he's going to die. Which, I mean, you could say something about the bedside manner there, but also um, you have to appreciate the honesty and the candor and the. Yeah, you know, treating treating you with a bit of respect there, and just uh, not sugarcoating it, not giving you false hope. And here with uh, with the little one, he's just like, "Don't worry, we you know we we got this. <laughs> it's uh, it's not time to you know panic just yet. Uh, of course, hearing a dog shriek is scary. Um, hearing you know seeing a dog dis- in discomfort is scary, but uh, we got this. Come on down. I'll have these pills for you. Yada yada yada. So I drove back down to the uh, to the dock. Picked up these tiny, these tiny little ibuprofens here. Our dog weighs five pounds, so very, very small dog. But um, these tiny pills had to be cut into quarters. So thankfully they did that for me because I can't cut a straight line to save my life. But uh, these things look like, like if you ever have fresh ground pepper, you know, when you have the, like the, the pepper mill and you're, you know, you're cracking it on your salad or your meat or something. The pills, the, the little bits of the pills were actually the size of like a cracked piece of pepper. So it was, it was adorable in a way, but also, you know, it wasn't the best time to acknowledge the the adorableness of those pills. But um, the uh, nurse came out and she recommended that we um, force feed our pup some uh, meat flavored baby food just to get some calories in her, just to get some nutrients in her, just to get something in her, especially if we're going to give her the ibuprofen, which can be, I don't know if it could be harsh on a belly, but I mean, it, it's, it's a foreign thing in a belly, so it, it would better, it would increase the odds of it staying down and doing what it needs to do to, to give her comfort. And as she told me this, my mind flashed back to the last time we were told to try force feeding baby food, which turned out to be the end. And uh, my mind started going just wild with speculation and worry, and it's like <laughs> I've had to do that a couple of times. I've had to go down the baby food aisle for a dog, uh, once for our own dog, once for uh, my in-law's dog, and our dog didn't make it. Their dog did, but uh, their dog never ate the baby food. Their their dog, we we tried force feeding him it. He was angry and mean and fighting, and suddenly had like the strength of a, you know of a Clydesdale, you know, pushing us off. 
But um, I always saw baby food as like the last ditch effort. And um, on the way home from there, I, you know, I stopped at a grocery store. I picked up some baby food, and I'm standing in that baby food aisle, just like this. <laughs> this ain't gonna work, you know. And this is probably the end. This is probably where it where it ends here. And I, I should probably try to make peace with that. And then that moment of clarity hit me, which it's weird. When we lost our, our last dog, um, I had that this moment of clarity when when everything was when it was clear what was gonna happen. Because I knew I couldn't panic, I knew I couldn't overreact, and I knew you know, my wife was not going to deal well with this, and I needed to be kind of... I needed to be an adult, you know. I needed to take care of things. I needed to be the one to make arrangements and take care of everything that we've been dreading having to take care of for, you know, 14 years at that point. And so when the moment of clarity hit me, part of me started to panic because I felt like I was going back into that mode, you know. It's like I'm past panic now. I'm past worry and concern. I'm I'm accepting this, and I'm already mentally reframing our our home life and how how I'm going to have to deal with these next several steps. That uh, it's like, you know, of course, it's not something you you ever want to do. But so I'm standing there in a friggin' grocery store, almost you know, bawling my eyes out at this revelation. Um, Pick up the food. I pick up the food, and for the next uh, three days, we have a big syringe going down her throat, and we're squirting this baby food in there. We're squirting turkey and gravy, which smells like death, um, banana and something, which didn't smell much better. Um, crushed, uh, what was it? Crushed squash, which, oh my god, I don't know how babies eat this stuff. I mean, sure, there's nothing wrong with baby food and uh, outside of the smell, but... Um, Oof. Well, it's a wonder that babies trust their parents after uh, getting a spoonful of that stuff because, ugh, it's not pleasant. But, um, so yeah, for the next few days, we were uh, feeding her with a syringe. Uh, we were giving her water with a syringe. Uh, we were giving her the ibuprofen uh, twice a day, these little, you know, pepper flakes of, uh, of ibuprofen. And she was very unresponsive. Like it was like I was holding an unconscious dog, uh, and it was very very scary. She stopped reacting to things. She stopped walking. Um, like if I wanted, if we wanted her somewhere, we'd have to pick her up and and put her there. Um, she couldn't get down off the couch. She was very weak. I'm sure she was starving at this point. She hadn't eaten in several days, and uh, I was in. Uh, pretty regular contact with uh, with the vet, much to his dismay, I'm sure, because I'm <laughs> I'm sure I'm quite a pain in the ass. But uh, we got some of the blood test results back. He said the organs are perfectly fine. Everything looks great. Uh, the white blood cells were a little bit high. That just means it's fighting an infection. So basically, doing what it's supposed to do. He didn't think there was anything to worry about. And I told him that uh, she. Well, we gave her the ibuprofen for. A couple, a day and a half, and she still looked like she was uncomfortable. She still looked like she was in pain, and so um, I, I told him that. You know, I'm like, I don't. It doesn't seem like this is touching her pain or her discomfort. And he's like, Chris, even if you don't think it's working, it's working. Keep doing it. <laughs> just keep doing it. And he said, one day, she's just gonna be fine. You know, this is just going to be like it never happened. 
you know, he said anything can happen, but he, he, he the odds were one day it was just going to be fine. And here I sit on, uh, what day is today, Thursday? Where at uh, about 4.30 this morning, I felt some very familiar feet on my chest. She was up, she was bouncing around, she was chirping, she was getting me out of bed so I could feed her. And uh, she ran right to her bowl. She fought with our other dog for a minute. Um, I gave her some solid food. She ate it right up. She ran over, got some water, went outside to the bathroom. I mean, everything, it was insane. It was as though the past week never happened. Um, I mean, of course, you know, knock on wood. I don't know that we're necessarily out of the woods yet, but um, it's a damn sight better than it was yesterday when... She couldn't, she couldn't even walk, and today she was literally bouncing off the walls. So, Well, that's been my week, <laughs> and that's why uh, there hasn't been an episode of this program in, in several days at this point. Um, so sorry about that. I was, I was hoping to uh, keep our daily visits going for a little while, but um, my mind was uh, anywhere but where it needed to be to, uh, to sit here and uh, blather on. So, um, so with all that said, uh, thank you so much for listening to... Uh, <laughs> to the life and times of, of an idiot dog owner And, uh, hey, we've got a book to discuss We do, we do How about we get right into it here I'll have to remember to put something in the show notes Saying, like, skip to 25 minutes in If you don't want to hear my BS But, um, let's get into it <laughs> Today we're here to discuss Immortal X-Men number 2 At a June 2022 cover date The story is called Part 2, colon, All Mankind's Woes Written by Kieran Gillen, with art by Lucas Warnick. Colors, David Curiel. The letters, v, the, 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 VCs, Clayton Cowles. Designs, Tom Muller. The, uh, Jay Bowen does not get a credit this time out. Edits, Amaro white Sabolski, Cover price, four bucks. This one went on sale May 18 of 2022. Now, we pick up pretty much right where we left off. We've got Saline's animated external gate. You know, that big caterpillar bone thing. It's still there. Still a pain, still wrecking havoc. This time out, it uh, would uh, seem as though our newest quiet counselor, Hope Summers, is uh, going to be our POV character as well as our narrator. Now she catches us up. She tells us that she's now on the council, and so, uh, well, it turns out that stuff like this is now, you know, her problem. You know, she's part of the solution, so here we go. Double-page spread of roll call and cred, our characters include, well, the quiet council. Seated in the Autumn Quarter is Professor X, Hope, Summers, and Destiny. Summer is Nightcrawler, Storm, and Colossus. Spring, Emma Frost, Sebastian Shaw, and Call Me Kate. Winter is Exodus, Mr. Sinister, and Mystique. Back to comics. And, uh, well, Saline's not on Krakoa anymore. Where, where the hell do you think she went? Well, if you said she went to London to meet up with Kavanakaba, well, then I guess you'd be right, and... Um, it's pretty unfortunate that we would be right, because of course, uh, Coven of Kaaba is that uh, coven of, you know, literal coven of witches that we met in Excalibur, who currently run the British government. Don't know how things like that happen, but um, what are you gonna do? Uh, it's worth noting. It's here that I started to notice that the art has a bit of a uh, landishness to it, as in Greg Land, you know, the guy who traces faces from naughty pictures. Now. These aren't quite so eyebrow-raisy, but um, there's an element of that here I, I, that I can't shake. Uh, it looks kind of landish. I prefer this to Greg Land, of course, but um, I don't know. Just There's a weirdness to it. Anyway, 
Saline, she's welcomed into the coven. Now, why the hell are we still dealing with the coven? Well, we'll find out later. Back to Krakoa. Hope's there directing traffic. Uh, They're really playing up how she's taking this leadership role seriously. She's leading the five into battle, which doesn't seem like the smartest thing in the world to do. So uh, maybe maybe as a leader, uh, questionable um, tactics employed here. Anyway, she's got the five. They're going into battle. Also, some other mutants as well. Uh, She thinks to herself about all the roles that she's played in her topsy-turvy life. She's been a leader. She's been a doctor. She's been a superstar? Okay. I've never heard someone call themselves a superstar. I think I'm going to start referring to myself as one of those. Uh, She says that she's even been called the dreaded M-word. And M-word is in Messiah, not mutant, though, you know, she's that too. She instinctively reaches for her sidearm before remembering that she no longer carries, and she wonders when she became so soft. And if I had to guess, it would be probably around the same time everyone else got soft. Probably, you know, right around the time of Hoxbox. Anyway, elsewhere, Storm and Magneto prepare to team up and take down Saline's monster. And it looks as though their tandem offense is wildly effective. But Dr. Nemesis calls in to shout science a bunch. Which isn't near as funny as our X-Men writers seem to think it is. But, uh, I mean, is is someone yelling science all the time funny? Is is, is he Thomas Dolby? This isn't the fight I'm ever going to win, so I probably should just move on. Anyway... He warns against destroying this monster, because if they were to do so, well, everything might go boom-boom, because it's an interdimensional whatchamacallit. You know, it's, it's actually still a portal. Different dimensions, different galaxies, different whatever-the-hells. And if it goes boom, Lord only knows what might happen. So, Aurora and Eric, they cease their attack. Now, Destiny, she's seeing this all go down, she's around, and um, she's not having the greatest of days herself here. She seems to be overwhelmed by all of the potential futures that are currently barreling toward her, which we did get a hint about last issue, and so it's nice to see it uh, revisited here. Back to the battleground. Hope and company rendezvous with Exodus, and Exodus is really displeased seeing Hope actually on the front lines here, and considering her primary role and function on Krakoa, he's not exactly wrong to feel that way. Uh, She, like any member of the Five, are kind of important to the uh, mutant's new normal, so... Hope being on the front lines is troublesome, but uh, she's also leading the rest of the five, so um, eh, it's a, a sticky wicket in it. Anyway, Hope and Exodus have themselves a weird conversation, which is rooted in messianic stuff and uh, powers, stuff like that. We're reminded here that Exodus's powers get stronger the more people believe in him, which is true whenever Marvel remembers it. Hope says that she's using her power-copying power to take Exodus's fanatical boost. You see, a lot of people on Krakoa believe in Hope. And so, while she's copying Exodus's obscure hoodoo, well, she's becoming more and more powerful. She's extremely powerful at this point. Now, it seems as though Hope is starting to take a liking to Exodus. But at the same time, she still seems to think that he's absolutely nuts, which, of course, he is. From here, we shift scenes over to Bar Sinister, where the man himself is just about ready to uh, break glass during this emergency. He heads into his gene closet. And that's a gene, G-E-N-E. He's not looking for a pair of Levi's. Now, he exits with a vial of something or another, and he proceeds out to the battlefield. Here, he injects himself with the vial of something or another, 
And while he misquotes Nietzsche, he hulks up. Now, if you listen to the uh, discussion we had about the first issue of Immortal X-Men, I believe it was episode 341, you might remember how I found the ending of that issue to be pretty confusing. You know, I think my synopsis kind of fell apart at that uh, last scene here because I didn't know what to make of it, and I didn't want to wildly speculate (laughs) and be uh, proven to be an idiot. Anyway, what we knew there is that Sinister had all the Mora clones, right? And there was a mention of him kind of harnessing her resurrection with memories powers there, which I wasn't too sure about, right? I didn't know what this meant. (laughs) Um, Now, also in that first issue, it was flat out stated that Sinister knew the results of the Quiet Council election, right? He's like, oh, or just the fact that the election was going to occur in the first place. Early in the issue, he said, oh, I got to pretend to be surprised, So when Magneto said he was going to leave, he was retiring to Mars, Sinister had to react in a a way that that showed surprise, of course. So with that said, can we assume that Sinister is using Mora's powers for himself? Is that completely mind-bogglingly obvious to everyone but me? (laughs) Um, I don't know. I'm just trying to wrap my head around it here because it seems like everything he's doing here is with like some foreknowledge of uh, what might be happening or what might, you know, come to pass. Anyway, this hulked-up sinister reveals that he's uh, taken a chimera cocktail. Now, he attacks the external gate, wielding claws and optic blasts. So we can probably assume that Cyclops and Wolverine were in this soup, right? There's also a healthy dollop of MGH in there, which is mutant growth hormone as well as a little bit of uh, Iraqi spice, uh, probably from the Hellion's leg of the uh, Exitens story, where Sinister, uh, you know, he got some of that DNA. Anyway, he wrestles the gate down, and it explodes. Now, while he does this, he's in telepathic contact with Sinister, and he's not, he's not, uh, he's not quite shy about the Chimera stuff here. He actually says Chimera. And I thought that was a secret. I, I really, I mean... That whole, uh, you know, uh, middle third of uh, Hellions was about him kind of like going off campus to work on the Chimeras. Like, he took over Arcade's little, uh, you know, underground murder world thing to kind of use that as his secret lab. Here, though, it doesn't seem like it's it's something he's keeping secret. Anyway, either way, (laughs) the thing goes boom, and Sinister is left bobbing in the surf. He realizes that the external gate is rapidly repairing itself and calls for an extraction, and so Nightcrawler bamps on in to scoop him out of the drink and deposit him on a nearby shore. Now, they have a pretty fun exchange here, where Sinister comes across a bit disappointed that he's not getting, like, the hero treatment, in spite of his very heroic act, and uh, Kurt gives him... uh, You know, there's no tone of voice in these books, of course. We're just reading words here, but I assume... It's a very deadpan uh, delivery here when he just says, well done. (laughs) You know, uh, you've done good, fine. Uh, Now back on dry land, Emma Frost calls for the Quiet Council to assemble. (sighs) And, guys, she actually busts out with a, to me, my Quiet Council. To which I have two words to say. Please stop. (laughs) You know, if I were the sort to give, like, number ratings to comics... That line alone would have cost this issue three. It's not funny. It's not clever. Please stop. I mean, you're better than this, Kieran. Now, this is like... 
Aquaman her 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 talks to fish. Please stop. Anyway, from here we go to an info page, and it's the Ben Percy special. It's a whole bunch of dialogue that nobody felt like drawing. And uh, it's from an emergency meeting of the council, and it doesn't appear as though our newest counselor, Hope, was uh, invited or present. The discussion here veers into acknowledging Krakoa's weakness to magic, which is kind of the whole point of this, you know, this first two issues of this story. You see, Celine is attacking them with magic, and I guess it's somewhat of a surprise, it's highly effective. This was Celine's plan all along. Here she's able to show how valuable she might be as a member of the Quiet Council due to her own ability to counteract magic attacks. Now, it's suggested here that magic, as in Ilyana, not like the actual concept of magic, uh, maybe she should be added to the Council in lieu of Selene. Colossus says that Ilyana enjoys being a captain too much to give up, uh, though who even knows how true that is. And also, isn't Ilyana supposed to be in limbo right now? Yeah, who knows? I mean, it's not like these books are edited or released in a way that makes any linear sense, right? Anyway, the Council has a plan, which we will learn more about very, very soon. But first, another info page. Now, this is the Summer's Protocol on Dealing with Kaiju. And it really bothers me that we're using the term kaiju so often here. Uh, anyway, there's a reference to the X-Mech which is that uh, kind of Voltron-y thing we saw back at the start of the most recent volume of X-Men. Back to comics, and our plan begins to come together. Hope is approached by Destiny, who informs her that Celine will be stepping past a certain window at a certain time, and boy, wouldn't it be a shame if she got sniped? Hope, appealing to Destiny's precognis, asks what the odds of this actually happening are, to which Irene says they'd likely just improved significantly. I mean, she's basically just saying, you're up, kid. And this takes us to a pretty creative scene. It's a really, really well-choreographed uh, scene, if that's even the right term for it. The, the direction here is very, very nice. Now, Hope mimics Magic's stepping disc power in order to teleport to London. It's worth noting, of course, that Magic is A, here, and B, with Soul Sword, so I can't tell you if this scene plays out before or after the Trials of Magic, and I bet you the editors couldn't either. Anyway, Hope Stepping Discs to London. That's a hard thing to say. Stepping, Putting an S at the end of Stepping Disc is a very difficult thing for me to say. So she does this. She's Stepping Discs to London, and a portal opens up in the sky. Hope falls from the portal, and as she does, she steadies her shot, and she gives Celine a Mysterium headshot. Mysterium, of course, can do anything, don't you know? Which I wonder if anybody even actually knows what Mysterium's limitations are. I wonder if we're actually going to get a story to explain that, or if it's going to be purposely kept kind of open and nebulous. You know, I remember when I started reading, you know, X-Men comics when I was growing up, uh, there was kind of a big to-do about how one might go about killing an external. This is very early in um, the first volume of X-Force, where it was heavily hinted that Cannonball was an external, because I think I think he, like, died, and then a couple pages later he wasn't dead anymore. I can't remember if it was a continuity error or, if, like, this was always the plan, that, uh, oh, he's not dead because he's immortal. He's an external. There's this, there's that. Or if maybe Liefeld just forgot to stop drawing him. I, I don't remember. It's been a long time since I've read that stuff. Anyway, there was chatter about how one would kill an external, and... You know, I can't swear that it was ever said in the comics, but 
we, you know, me, my, me and my friends, we were convinced that the only way to kill an external would be to cut off their head. And, um, again, I don't know if that was actually ever said in the comics. It, maybe it was, maybe it wasn't, but, um, I guess this scene here goes to show that that's not exactly the case. You know, Mysterium can, uh, can do anything. Anyway, so Hope, you know, she comes out of that one portal, she snipes Celine, and then she continues to fall until she hits another stepping disc portal, which deposits her safely and softly back on Krakoa. So... One very fluid motion, a really, really strong scene. It was really quite well done. Anyway, time passes and Celine hatches from her gold ball. Exodus gets her, takes control of her, and uses her mind to shut down the external gate monster. And then he snaps her neck, killing her again. Which, I, I guess that puts another bullet in my uh, cutting-off-her-head theory, huh? Hmm. Anyway, the Quiet Council then meets to discuss next steps. They claim that Celine is not going to be rushed back through the queue. Xavier asks Hope if, at this point, she'd even agree to bring Celine back at all. Hope puts on her best fancy voice and suggests that uh, perhaps they table that for now. After the meeting, Hope and Exodus spend a little bit more time together. She tells him that, uh, well, she hopes his delusions of her being a messiah have been quashed after seeing what just went down, because after all, Jesus Christ never shot anybody through the head. To which Exodus says that, uh, well, her ability to do so only makes her the superior messiah to, uh, to Jesus Christ. We wrap up the issue with Destiny and Mystique having some contentious chatter with Sinister before leaving together. On the way out, Destiny flashes back to the Paris flashback from last issue, and she falls to the ground, repeating, You're a ghost, you're a ghost, you're a ghost, over and over again, just as Sinister did back in the flashback. That's where we leave it. Next episode, Marauders number two. But that's next time. This time, let's talk a little bit more about Immortal number two, which, not as strong as the first issue. Not a bad issue, by any stretch, but certainly not as strong. The first issue was uh, it was one of those near-perfect first issues, uh, in my opinion, um, where just you could come into it brand new and, and follow it, and you could come into it being a seasoned... X-Men reader of current of the current year stuff and still get enough new where it felt like a special um, a special event issue. Here, eh, a little bit different, but uh, we do get at least some of the goal here for uh, Celine's motivations. Um, just showing that Krakoa has a weakness to magic, which I suppose that's a that's a an interesting thing to do, right? Because Krakoa is I don't want to say like all powerful, but um. I think maybe a little bit, uh, the, the people of Krakoa have a little bit of hubris, uh, a little bit of cockiness and confidence, where I don't know that they really take inventory of the things that they're still weak to. And Celine showing that there is, you know, a definite uh, susceptibility to magic is uh, an interesting, an, an interesting uh, path to take here. Here's the thing, though. It's kind of written in a way where, like, we have to forget a bunch of stuff. You know, uh, we have the Quiet Council actually considering putting Celine on the Quiet Council just as a defense against magical attacks. Celine is not the only mutant with magic strength, right? Uh, it seems odd that the Council would suggest otherwise. Like, they should have, like, be able to take inventory of all the mutants on the planet, or at least all the mutants on Krakoa. 
And, I mean, Cerebro does that regularly. <laughs> Takes inventory of mutants on the planet and in the galaxy. And Celine, you know, the... the I mean, I know she's Monet's favorite mutant who works with Nazis, but um, at the end of the day, she's still not a very good person. <laughs> she's not a good character here. She belongs in the hole multiple times over. There was a whole arc of Captain America where she was working with Nazis killing people. Humans! Breaking that law of Krakoa, even though really nobody... <laughs> Bothered to mention it So it's weird that they're so hyper-focused on it being Celine That has to be That is the most I don't know, the most obvious choice For a position on the Quiet Council It's like round peg square hole storytelling here Where, like I said, we have to forget so many things And also kind of tilt our head and squint Before it makes sense And you know, it's funny I was um, going through I was going through a lot of the books that I've uh, that I've been stockpiling for the past several years now since we started the show, and just books that I picked up uh, on a whim because I thought they might make a good episode of the program. And one of the books I considered covering for the show, like as a regular thing, was Strange Academy, because there was there there was a smattering of mutants in the cast. And of course, you know, the mission statement of this program is that uh, we cover all the X-Men appearances in, in any book, right? So you got to assume if there are some mutants at Strange Academy, they might have some sort of magic strength. Of course, they're young. They're still learning. But I don't know, even even so, maybe they'd be a little bit uh, I don't know, easier to control or trust than Celine, who, again, really ought to be in the hole right now, right? And also, hey, here's a question. Why not magic? Magic is an Iliana. We do have some multitaskers on the council right now. I mean, Storm is on the council. She's also on the Great Ring, and she's also the queen of the friggin' solar system. I think magic might just be able to pull off counseling and captaining. Of course, in that info page, um, Colossus was the one who said no, so we know Colossus has been, you know, compromised. There's that whole chronicler thing going on in X-Force that uh, we're reminded of any time they actually remember that it's a thing. So maybe he was lying. Maybe he was. Uh, maybe he has a, a particular reason why magic shouldn't be on the council. I, I really, I really don't know. Um, let's shift gears here and talk a little bit about hope. Uh, hope as a uh, as a killer. Now I know she didn't break any Krakoan laws here. But her arc here seems to uh, seems to have gone from zero to sixty, right? I mean, she's elected to the council. She, you know, pleads to get on the council or pleads her case anyway. And uh, her first and second official acts have to do with assassination. Again, she didn't break any Krakoan laws, but I don't know. Just seems maybe it's a per- you know it's like an on purpose juxtaposition since she is responsible for giving life and here she is taking it. And uh, the the quickness with which she is able to kind of um, I don't know change her change her point of view change her mindset or just change gears and and do that I maybe there's maybe there's more to it I don't know it's also a bit interesting that uh, the first of these murders I mean she didn't kill her the second time that was Exodus who broke Celine's neck but the actual assassination happened in London which. I don't know if that's going to muddy some waters or if that's going to be kind of hinky because, of course, we know the UK does not recognize any of the Krakoan stuff anymore. 
maybe this will be a, a thing that comes back to bite us? I, I don't know. Also, just briefly on the stepping discs. If they can apparently go anywhere, why don't we see them in use more often? Um, like, why has Kitty been lugging around a friggin' galleon when all they really need is some stepping disc magic technology, right? I, I don't know. It's another one of those things where you gotta kind of forget a bunch of stuff in order to make something, I don't know, make, make sense. Or at least make sense to me, and I, I'm an idiot, so who knows. Uh, let's talk about the external gate. Uh, we're told not to blow it up, and then Sinister blows it up. But then it comes back. Now, this confused me the first time I read it. Uh, the second time I read it, I may have had a little bit of clarity um, in considering that perhaps Sinister already lived this scene. You know, um, if he is somehow harnessing or co-opting Mora's resurrection with memories gimmick, I wonder if he already lived out a few different ways that this story could go. It, it, it makes me feel like Sinister is... He's playing with a save function now, right? You know, you play like a long role-playing game or something, and before you get to the boss fight, you save. I think that's kind of what we're doing with Sinister right now. I think he, you know, he gets to the save point, he saves, and then he just plays it out. And if he gets killed, or if the world ends, well, bada-bing, bada-boom, he's back at the save point, but he has his memories, he knows to go at it from a different angle. So, I'm wondering if that's what we're supposed to be getting? Because that seems pretty pretty interesting and pretty high concept, and I'm not usually good at getting high concepts. <laughs> so, um, the fact that I can make a little bit of sense out of this makes me think I'm wrong, but uh, I, I guess we'll see. Now, if that's not the case, or even if it is the case, I suppose, um, I, I'm reminded here. It's another one of those things we have to like forget about other things going on in this same universe to where this makes it seem like it was the best option. Uh, we have reality warpers on Krakoa who may have been able to deal with this thing. And again, who's to say they didn't in one of Sinister's, you know, aborted attempts at taking this thing down? But, I mean, we got Proteus. He was right there. We saw him on the front lines with Hope. You'd think maybe he'd try something. And, I mean, Legion's always only a phone call away. So it almost seems like they chose to go about this the most inconvenient way possible. And it's more that, like, kind of tilt your head and squint to make it make sense sort of stuff here. But, of course, I have all the faith in the world in Kieran Gillen, so long as he doesn't do any more to me my X-Men riffs, uh, then, then, we'll, then we'll be cool. Uh, now, all that said... Um, it was pretty nice to have Hope get a little bit of uh, the spotlight here. It feels like she'd been... It's going to sound weird to say so, but it seems like she's been, like, demoted pretty heavily since her earliest days in the comics. And, of course, I do realize how, from a narrative standpoint and from a Krakoa way-of-life standpoint, she's still very vital and important, right? She's a major player on Krakoa. But... Outside of, uh, you know, seeing her stick syringes into gold balls, we don't really see her do all that much. Uh, just a decade ago. It's so weird to say a decade ago. Jesus, where'd my life go? <laughs> Hope still feels like a new character to me. Then again, Quentin Quire still feels like a new character to me, and he's been around for like over 20 years. Jeez, good grief. Anyway, just a decade ago, <laughs> it seemed as though, like, the entire X-Men universe or concept was being wrapped around Hope. You know, Hope was like the straw that stirred the drink here. 
she was almost always front and center to the point where it was just like, okay, enough. <laughs> Can we get someone else on on panel here? And she was usually the reason that a particular story was being told in the first place. You know, Avengers vs. X-Men. It was all about the Phoenix coming back to take on Hope as a uh, as a host. Uh, Messiah Complex. Uh, that, that whole Messiah trilogy we had. The, what was it, Second Coming, Messiah Complex, and uh, Messiah War. That was all wrapped up in Hope. Hope seemed to be... Like the point of view character And and she was for, for a little while there Until relatively, you know, recent So it was it was nice to get a, a moment to check back in with her And see her, you know, actually get into her head Instead of just seeing her stick a, a giant syringe into a gold ball So that was cool And it also, I don't want to say confirms our suspicions But um, it uh, certainly strengthens our uh, theories that each issue of Immortal X-Men is going to have a different Quiet Council member as the POV, or the narrator. So, we had Sinister in the first issue. I wouldn't have minded a little bit more Sinister, but um, here we have Hope in the second, and I would assume, judging by our cliffhanger, that next issue will either have Mystique or Destiny as our point of view character. But, uh, of course, we will uh, get into that later on. But I think that's about all I have to say about this issue. You know, of course, not as strong as the first issue, in my opinion, but still very enjoyable. Still a very good issue, and still feels like a flagship, which, let's face it, the X-Books desperately need. So it's nice to have a book that is kind of steering the ship. So I'm digging it, and I hope you are as well. And of course, if you are or if you aren't, I would love to hear from you either way. So um, please, feel free to reach out and let me know what you think. You can find me several different ways. On Twitter, I'm at Ace... I was going to say Ace Lapsed. No, I'm not at Ace Lapsed. I'm at Ace Comics on Twitter. Uh, 90s X-Men on Instagram. Email weirdcomicshistory at gmail.com. You can call or text 623-396-JERK. Our little uh, hotline gimmick or whatever it is. I don't know. For blog posts and show notes, Chris is on infiniteearths.com. You can join us on Facebook. Our group is 90s X-Men, which hopefully I'll be a little bit more active in now that uh, we're, knock on wood, you know, kind of out of the woods. The complete audio archives can be found at chrisandreggie.podbean.com. But I think this has been a long one. I think uh, I'll shut up now <laughs> and also uh, apologize for, you know, taking up almost a half hour of your time with, uh, you know, some of my recent drama and uh, worry and woe. Um, it's kind of the thing that uh, comes with the territory anytime you tune into a Chris show, which is probably why I've remained... As niche as I have here You see, I'm not a personality And I don't try to be a personality And it may be argued that I don't have a personality I'm I'm just a guy I'm just a dude And uh, I can't just, you know, turn off my emotions And turn on a radio voice To uh, to put out a show here I'm, I'm not gonna have my social media feed full of like Everything is awesome And look at my wacky life as a comic fan That's just not... That's not me. And I mean, if that's the kind of show you're in the market for, there are hundreds, if not thousands, <laughs> of comic shows that are exactly that. But uh, I like to think that, uh, I don't know if I, what I offer here is for everybody, but it is a little different. And um, I feel like through honesty and transparency, we can learn a lot. 
from and about one another. And uh, that's just part of the experience for me. And of course, I hope I didn't take up too much of your time. I apologize if I did. And of course, I thank you so very much for indulging me. So with all that said, let me thank you all one more time for allowing me to spend some time with you today. And until next time, as always, I'll talk to you again real soon. See ya.